Praise the Lord, tonight we come to the last message or the last study on the book of 2 Corinthians. We would like to enjoy the dispensing of the triune God. Amen. Let's come to hymn number 12. Let's enjoy this hymn. Etienne can play this hymn for us.
Amen. As living water flowing out unto eternity. Amen. Amen. The love of God, the grace of Christ, the Spirit flowing free and over us for the world to share. Amen. Through all eternity. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Though we in certain wickedness, all from the abyss, all yet in the sun, thou dost redeem. Amen. Bestowing life and grace. Amen. Amen. Oh, yes, Lord. Indeed, we have often slighted you. Your spirit, we often grieve. Yet, thou still, our spirit does come and has life for us to be received. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, as the spirit in the sun, actually a very nice hymn. Okay? This hymn talking about the six kinds of offering here. Uh, we've been familiar with this hymn many times. We sing this one. But this is talking about how triune God become our grace, uh, become our real enjoyment through the enjoyment of Christ. Uh, God wants to be our enjoyment through how he embodied himself as Christ to be grace to us. In verse 1, talking about the flowing out of the triune God. Is that quite a big truth? God is not just an object for us to worship, but he is a God of flowing. He flows himself as grace to us for our enjoyment. And in verse 2, is the first offering we want to enjoy is the burnt offering. In verse to show us the experience of the burnt offering, that he flow himself in the sun into human grace, okay? and he live absolutely for God, as the Spirit also flow within through your His grace. Yeah? And then in verse three, he's talking about he become the experience for us as the trespass offering that we join himself and even in this kind of experience in sin and wickedness we went far from him apace yet in the sun as the 
trespass offering, uh, he redeemed us and bestowed life and grace to us. And in verse 4, talking about he, uh, we experience him as our sin offering. Trespass is referring to our doings. Sin offering refer, referring to our inward being. We, our nature is just sin. Okay? I'm not talking about sins. I talk about sin. Sins is referring to trespasses. Sin, talking about our nature. And <coughs> our disposition in verse 4, though we have often slighted thee, thy spirit often grieve, is grieving within us, yet thou still as the spirit come as life to be received. And in verse 5, talking about <coughs> he is our meal offering. In verse 5, the meal offering, thou as the spirit in the sun, uh, here mingle, here the fall. As the meal offering, we enjoy the mingling, the blending of the fine flour and the oil. And thou will through fellowship anoint and increase more and more. We enjoy Christ to be our meal offering. And in verse 6, talking about the peace offering, the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the Spirit flowing free. Enable us, God wealth to share. Enable us to share all the riches of God through all eternity. Okay. That enjoyment end up in the meal, uh, in the peace offering okay, through all eternity. And in verse 7, talking about um, what is that? The drink offering. Okay. The drink offering. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit one so richly care for us. Thy love with one accord we sing, and whatever praise thee does. This is the climax of the offering. When they offer sacrifice, at the end, the priest is going to pour the wine. And that um, flame up the sacrifice, the fire. And here is a your love with one accord we sing. Amen. And ever would praise thee thus. And thus we praise thee forever. Amen. We enjoy Christ as the drink offering. Uh, Brother Etienne, can you play this hymn again? We are going to enjoy Christ our as our offering here. Amen.
Son and the Spirit and the Father. Amen. Amen. The love. Amen. Oh, the Amen. grace and the fellowship. So, saints, tonight we're going to conclude um, the book of 2 Corinthians. What a wonderful um, enjoyment. Okay, so the verses we'll read tonight, we'll read from chapter 12, verse 19, up till the end of chapter 13. For the 14 verses in chapter 13. Amen. So welcome back, everybody. So tonight we're gonna conclude with this um well with this wonderful book. Hallelujah. I hope you've enjoyed Second Corinthians and uh really received much light. This has really been uh, such a supply to me to be going through this with you, saints. So Tonight, the first thing I just want to, I'll cover the first part of this uh, this section in um, at the end of uh, chapter 12. Paul, we see that uh, this is the final section that we'll cover related to his authority as an apostle. And actually, there's something quite wonderful that we'll see in this section. And that is that, and this, I hope we can keep this in our mind while we are going through these verses, verse by verse. So as we go through this section, what we'll see is that really Paul's vindicating of his apostolic authority is not for himself. His vindication of himself as an apostle is for the believers going on. He is, he's really not doing this to, to prove something of himself, to show that he is someone, to show that he has accomplished anything. His heart behind doing this is that the saints would be built up. That is what is within his heart. Within Paul's heart is that the saints would have a way to go on. So, uh he begins in verse 19 of chapter 12. All this time, you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Before God in Christ, we speak. So in this verse, we see that Paul is saying, their speaking is before God and in Christ. What that means is that their speaking is uh, in the life of Christ. So their speaking is in Christ. They're speaking is uh, by this um, by this Christ whom they've received as their life, and it's in the atmosphere of God. So they're speaking before God in the sphere of God is how they're speaking to the believers. Now this might seem contradictory because in chapters ten he said, "I'm not speaking in the Lord, but in foolishness." So we might be thinking, Paul, are you? 
what, what, you know, what are you doing? Are you speaking in foolishness? Or are you speaking in the Lord? Maybe you can just give us a straight answer. Actually, what Paul is, what Paul is, what's really happening here is the environment or the situation in the church in Corinth forced him to speak in a kind of a foolish way to them, to speak in a way that was seemingly to vindicate himself and to defend himself. But actually, he is speaking in the Lord, not to try and prove himself as being anything or anyone, but he is speaking in Christ. That is the, 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 the motivation within him. Right in chapter 10, maybe the motivation was kind of foolish motivation. But here we see that his motivation really in this whole section from chapter 10 up to this chapter uh, 13, verse 10, is to really bring, and this is what the, the last part of this verse says, but all things beloved are for your building up. So here we see what is really within the apostle's heart. What is within the apostles' hearts is that the believers would be built up. Amen. Dear saints. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay, let me go on. Verse 20 and verse 21, we see a list of negative things that Paul is mentioning. So he begins this verse by saying, I fear lest perhaps when I come, I might find you not such as I wish, and I may be found by you, not such as you wish. So, on the one hand, the apostle was hoping that these dear saints to whom he was ministering and whom he was supplying Christ to, that the result of his ministry would result in a kind of expression lived out through them. He desired that the saints would express the Christ who has been ministered into them by him. So what a shame it would be to him. He would wish not to find them in these things. Okay. And they, on the other hand, they would wish not to, <laughs> if they were not in these things, then they wouldn't find the apostle coming to them uh, with some kind of authority and a rod to discipline them. So they also would not wish to find him as they wish. Because maybe if he'd come, he wouldn't be able to come in a peaceful way or with um, a lot of gentleness. But he might have to come in a very strong way. Like he says later on, that there, he uses this word, um, I will not spare. Okay, in, 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 in chapter 13, verse 2. So we see that the apostle both on both sides, the Corinthian believers is encouraging them. I don't want to find you in this kind of situation. And then he lists um, a few things here. Okay, he lists in verse twenty. He lists things like strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, slanders, whisperings, demonstrations of being puffed up, tumults, like a kind of fighting, right? Oh, dear saints, maybe we think our church life doesn't have this. <laughs> but when we consider ourselves, we will probably realize many of these words that are used here is our experience in our church life. 
the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we feel about the saints, the way that we are with the saints. Dear saints, have you never uh, had any strife with anybody? Have you never sat in a meeting and then you see a brother or a sister coming in and you think, ah, oh, that brother again. I kind of hoped he wasn't here this week. Even jealousy rising up within us. Maybe a saint would just stand up and share something of the Lord. And then within us, instead of re receiving the Christ and they've shared with us, there might be something within us. Ah, wish I could speak like that. I want to be like that, brother. I want to be like that, sister. I want to have that kind of prayer. Selfish ambitions. Whisperings. Maybe we're, 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 not, we're not too rough. We're not, we're not uncultivated. So we don't just stand up in a meeting and begin to shout at one another. Sometimes that does happen. Outbursts of anger, right? What does it say? Anyway, outbursts. Okay, maybe there's not that many outbursts in our meetings. But what about within? And afterwards, kind of whispering to someone, oh, did you know so-and-so? Do you know what's really going on in their lives? Dear saints, these things are not so far from us. We should not consider that these things have nothing to do with our church life. In verse 21, Paul uses even stronger words. And he begins this, this verse by saying, that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may mourn over many who have sinned before and have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, licentiousness, which they have practiced. Dear saints, I'm sure this is also your experience. This actually shows us that the apostle's heart is for the saints. Have you ever cared for someone? Maybe a, 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 a younger believer, someone who is just learning to know the Lord, learning to pray, learning to read their Bible. Maybe they've gone on with the Lord for some years. Won't you mourn if after caring for them for a long period of time, these things are just the expression. These things are what's coming out of them. Won't there be some, something within you? This will humble. The Apostle Paul said, my God may humble me before you. This would be a, a humbling to him when he comes and he's with the saints after being with them bringing them to Christ, ministering Christ to them. Then he writes this first letter to them. Then he writes his second letter to them. So if he were to come in this kind of situation, this would really be a humbling to him. So saints, here we see the apostle's heart. Oh Lord Jesus, his heart is to have the saints go on in the Lord. For the saints building up, like he mentioned in verse 19. This is what he is after. He is after the saints being built up and established. Okay, so in, verse third, in chapter 13, we see that he goes on and he says, This third time I am coming to you. At the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So this third time, I'm not sure if this ever happened because he went twice. You can see this in, in Acts. I can't remember the exact references now 
but he, you can see that he went twice to the city of Corinth. But this third time, eventually, he went to Jerusalem after being in Corinth. And then he was captured there and he was sent in as, as a prisoner to Rome. So I don't know if he was ever able to, to, to visit them a third time. But in verse 2, he says, I have previously said, and I say beforehand, when I am present the second time and being absent now, to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. So here, Paul is really writing in a very strong way to show the Corinthian believers that he will use his apostolic authority to, to help them, to guide them, so that these things would not be among them. Okay, in verse 3, he goes on to speak about this proof of Christ speaking in him. So he says, since you seek a proof of Christ who is speaking in me, who is not weak unto you, but is powerful. Here, Paul is very clever in the way that he is speaking to the Corinthians. Because they were questioning whether the apostle Paul was really of God, whether he was really sent, whether he was really an apostle. And now he says to them, the Christ, how can Christ not be speaking in me if he's in you? How did Christ get into you in the first place? Brothers and sisters, how did Christ get into the Corinthian believers? He got into them through the apostles ministering to them. By the apostle coming to the Corinthian believers, Christ came into them. Okay, and they are, oh Lord Jesus, the Judaizers, they came in afterwards, like kind of maybe hardening the heart of the Corinthian believers toward Paul, toward the apostles, questioning his apostolic authority, questioning whether he really was sent by God. And so now Paul is saying to them, okay, but this Christ, so they, there's a kind of a, a, a proud full spirit within them with regards to Paul. They, so he uses this to his advantage to show them, listen, the Christ is in you. You won't say that he is weak, will you? No, you'll say that he is powerful in you. So how can this powerful Christ, how did he get into you in the first place? These so-called super apostles that Paul spoke about in chapter 11, these ones who are so super, right? But how did this powerful Christ get into you? Through my ministry. So how come that powerful Christ got into you if I am not speaking in Christ? So he's using this to show the Corinthian believers, saints, I did not come out of myself. My whole, my whole, what I've started in chapter 10, before God in Christ, I'm speaking. You see why I'm speaking to you before God in Christ? It's because Christ is in you. If Christ was not in you, then, okay, then I'm not an apostle of Christ. Then, then I'm not speaking in Christ. But Christ is in you. So my speaking is in Christ. Saints, I don't think we realize how important this matter of the apostles are. 
with maybe our, our, our consideration as we're reading through chapter 10, from chapter 10 to, to chapter 13, we think Paul is just trying to make himself like some kind of a person, like many are doing today. Many have, you know, billboards, things, great display outwardly. But his heart is that the saints would go on. How did Christ get into us? Oh, dear saints, the enemy desires to harden our hearts toward the ministering of the apostles that we would not receive this Christ who is being ministered to us. This is the enemy's subtle tactic. This is the most subtle thing. This is why Paul addresses this matter right at the end of this epistle. He waits until the atmosphere and the environment is correct for him or right for him to speak this way to the Corinthian saints. Because this is such a delicate matter. But this touches the matter of our building up. Saints, oh, may the Lord cover our hearts and show us what is really in his heart. Okay. In verse 3, ach, in verse 4, in chapter 13, Paul goes on to speak about being weak in Christ. So he's telling them, okay, you are powerful in Christ. Christ is powerful in you. For indeed he was crucified out of weakness. But he lives by the power of God. For indeed, we were weak in him. But we will live together with him by the power of God directed toward you. How could Christ be crucified if he did not become weak? In John, when all those gods sent by the high priest, when they came to him and they asked him, are you the Christ? And he said, what did he say to them? I am. And what happened? They all fell to the ground. Okay. Because Christ is the great I am. If he didn't want to be arrested, I mean, they just, he just said, I am. And they all fell to the ground. If Christ was not willing to become weak in his body on our behalf, how could he be arrested? Never mind crucified. Christ became weak for us, dear brothers and sisters so that he could accomplish redemption for us by the cross. For indeed, he was crucified out of weakness. It was in his weakness that he came to be presented to God as this offering to us. If Christ did not become weak, brothers and sisters, there's no way he could have been crucified. So now the apostles, they have become one with Christ in an organic union with him. And in this organic union, what happens? They experience Christ's weakness to experience the cross, to experience them no longer living by themselves. Lord Jesus, when we, when we experience Christ's weakness, this is not so that we can become pitiful or others can feel sorry for us or we feel sorry for ourselves. This is so that we can live by the resurrection of Christ. Because then he says, but we will live together with him by the power of God directed toward you. So now the apostles are able to minister in resurrection. I don't know if you remember how the book of 2 Corinthians started. But it started maybe also in weakness, right? 
in chapter 1, Paul was saying, Indeed, we ourselves had the response of death in ourselves, that we should not base our confidence on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In verse 4, he says, let me read verse 3 also. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all compassions and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in every affliction through the comforting with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So they became weak in Christ's weakness, weak in being crucified, living a crucified life with Christ, that they would no longer have any trust or confidence in themselves. I believe this is why Paul could be so bold in these last chapters, because he has been thoroughly dealt with by the Lord. He knew the weakness of Christ. He had an organic union, not only with Christ's resurrection, not only with the powerful Christ, but even with the, with the weak Christ, with the crucified Christ. So he no longer had confidence in himself, but on God who raises the dead. So in themselves, the apostles were happy to be weak, that there could be power of God directed toward the believers. Okay. Now, in verse 5, we see Paul telling them that they need to test themselves. Okay, test yourselves, whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves, okay? This testing has to do with uh, where we've, what, is our, what is our condition? What is our condition? Are we in Christ? And then that will prove our standing. Okay, we will have a standing. He says here, whether you're in the faith. Okay, that faith refers to what we believe in. That's the object of faith. So, if we are in the faith, in the object of faith, in the truth of the New Testament economy, then subjectively, we will be in the New Testament economy. If we believe in the truth of God's New Testament economy, we believe in this Lord Jesus. Then he goes on. Or do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Okay. So when we objectively confess with our mouths, we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth that God has raised Christ from the dead. What happens is Jesus Christ is in us. Okay. He comes into you. Brothers and sisters, what is your approvedness? Unless the last bit of stanza, verse 5, unless you are disapproved. <coughs> Dear brothers and sisters, what is our approving? What is our standing? If Christ is in you, you know what? You are approved. You are a member of the body of Christ. And this is your standing. This is the standing which you will have before God. Is the fact that Jesus Christ is in you. We need to consider, okay, Lord, where am I? Am I in Christ? This will be our standing before God, okay? And then in verse 6, Paul says, he's now talking about himself, but I hope that you will know that we are not disapproved, okay? What has he been saying to telling them? He's been telling them we are speaking in Christ, okay? That's what it's saying in verse 19. 
before God in Christ we speak. Okay, we are in Christ. And what happened when we when we were in Christ and we spoke to you? Christ came into you. Okay, that was what he was speaking about in, in verse 3, uh, chapter 13, verse 3. So now he's telling them, listen, if, if Christ is in you through our ministering, then we are not disapproved. Okay, and in verse 7 he goes on. Now we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. Not that we may appear approved, but that you yourselves may do what is good and we may be as if disapproved. Okay, this sentence, this verse 7, seems a little bit complicated. But really what Paul is trying to say here is he's telling the believers, we don't want you to be to do nothing wrong. We don't want you to be in the things that I mentioned in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 12. Okay. In those two verses, I mentioned all those negative things. When we are in those things, then our expression is not that of Christ. Okay. But his real heart is not that that would prove his apostleship. But he's praying. Dear saints, don't be in these things. I don't know what you would feel like if if someone would come to you, a saint, and they're like, oh, brother, I just pray that you would not be in these things. You won't be in strife, in jealousy, outbursts of anger, sal uh, jealousy, uh, selfish ambitions. Probably if, if someone comes to me and says those things, I'm probably in those things. These things were a bit of a, a harsh word to the saints, okay? Because Paul is saying, this is what I'm, I don't want to see these things among you. This is not for my own vindication, for my own apostolic vindication. If you're not in those things, you know what? That'll show that I'm a minister of Christ. In verse 8, he goes on to say, For we are not able to do anything against the truth, but rather for the truth. Okay, so the apostles desired the saints to be in Christ. The truth. The truth was the reality of the faith. Okay, so he wanted the, the saints to be in that reality. If they were just there to prove their own vindicating themselves, making themselves uh, fighting for their own interests, this would be to do something against the truth. But the apostles were not for themselves. They were for the, the believers in Corinth being brought back to Christ. Verse 9, he says, For we rejoice whether we are weak and you are powerful. This also we pray for, your perfecting. Why would they rejoice? The footnote in that verse is quite, is quite helpful. Basically, what, brought, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying, if you are not in those things, and you're expressing Christ, and you're living out Christ. So you're not living out yourselves. Those, those negative things we mentioned in verse 20 and 21 are things of the expression of the flesh, those who are living in the flesh, okay? If we are not in the flesh, but we are in Christ, you know what will happen? The apostles will be, if, they are, if the saints, that, that means the saints are powerful in Christ, okay? The Christ is in them is powerful, okay? And so they're able to live, conduct, express this Christ in their living, okay? 
what would happen now is now the apostles would not be able to use their apostolic authority to come and discipline the saints because they would be living and expressing Christ. So they would be weak. So the apostles would be in a kind of a weakness because the saints would simply be living Christ. Okay, in verse 10 he says, Therefore I write these things while being absent, in order that when present I would not have to use severity, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for building up and not for overthrowing. Dear saints, the apostle had this burden within his heart. My apostolic authority has not been given to me. I haven't, I don't just make up these things by myself. I'm not just out of thin air. I just say, okay, I'm an apostle. I decide to now go around and do things for God. He did nothing from himself. Everything issued from God. His apostolic authority, his position as an apostle was even if you if you read the first verse in Galatians, Paul an apostle, not from men, knew nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. This is through whom he was an apostle. So this apostolic authority says we need to understand what an apostle is. An apostle is not someone who should go around and lord it over the saints. This is not the position of an apostle. This is not what God has called an apostle for. An apostle literally means a saint one. Okay. We need to have the proper view and the proper understanding of this word. Sometimes people use this word and we have, have some concepts. Oh, it's someone who's powerful or someone who's coming to do some things. But an apostle is someone who has been sent by God, you know, to do what? To minister Christ for the building up of the body of Christ. And in that principle, each one of us, all of us should be an apostle. Each one of us should have the sense about ourselves. I've been sent to some around me, maybe my neighbor or a friend or a work colleague or a, whoever. I've been sent to minister Christ to this person for the building up of the body of Christ. I, we are not here to lord it over others. This is not what, what, what someone who is an apostle is sent by God to do. So may we have the proper view of those who minister Christ to us, those who are in this position, not appointed by themselves, but by God, and if the body just recognizes this person is here to minister Christ. And this will cause us to be built up. That's what he says. This authority the Lord has given me for building up and not for overthrowing. Amen. Okay, saints, I'm going to end there. Um, Hector is going to continue. Amen. Amen. Um, this was very, very enlightening. Um, I really appreciate the, the last word that the authority which Paul had was for building up, not for tearing down or overthrowing. And our relationship with the apostles is very important. So here Paul was concerned about the saints. Um, in particular, they are going on. I really appreciated that. 
here he wasn't vindicating himself, but he was caring for the saints that they would be open to receive from such a such a ministry from 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 him as an apostle sent out by the Lord. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of us on this call uh, are parents. Um, maybe we may have asked our children to clean their room. There's two reasons we may ask them. It's we may ask the children to clean their room because somebody's coming to visit. We don't know, the parents don't want to look bad. So the kids have to clean the room. The other one is so that the kids would learn to conduct a proper human life. Actually, Paul here wasn't asking the saints to recognize his authority so that like a parent, so that he would look good. But Paul was burdened for the going on of the saints in God's economy. So the authority he had was for building up the saints. He wanted the saints to go on. I really appreciate this word. Um, anyway, uh, so maybe because of time, I will continue on this section. I don't know about you saints. Um, would you like to blend with the church in Corinth? Would you, would you visit them? Maybe you might blend with the saints in New York or Los Angeles. Um, but the saints in Corinth, there are strifes, there's jealousy, um, there's whisperings, slanders. Wow. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You might say, wow, what, what, what is happening here? However, the Apostle Paul was burdened for the saints to go on. And as a result, he had to speak in the way he did. The reason is that so that the saints would be brought back from all kinds of distractions and be brought back to the main point of God's economy. And this is what we're going to touch in this section. It's actually the dispensing of God. That's what Paul was burdened for. He wasn't just, um, he knew that they are, they are being reconciled to God and they are being uh, brought back to, to the Lord from all distractions, depended on their relationship with him. So he had to defend, uh, well, not defend, but vindicate. Uh, in a sense, uh, maybe the word vindicate, I would like to use the word he had to heal almost like a cancer. He had to do some kind of a surgery because the saints were not healthy. Um, parents are okay if the child is, is naughty, that's fine. But when the child stops eating, the parents are very concerned. So Paul here was concerned that the saints would not be able to receive his ministry, his, his fellowship with them. So this matter of the apostolic authority was of, of main concern to him. After he has had this kind of a fellowship, almost even a, a strong word, Paul in verse 11 says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Uh, it's actually very difficult. I don't know how you, how you, you conclude such a, uh, almost a very, a very strong, even exposing fellowship, you know, that there's strifes, there's jealousies, 
you know, if somebody, uh, Adrian was saying, uh, we, you know, if somebody came to you, brother, we would like you to stop not to, to stop uh, being jealous. We might be offended, <laughs> right? How, how do you conclude? So Paul, he says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Actually here, this shows that the Christian life is actually a life of rejoicing. This is what the Christian life is. It's a life of rejoicing. It's quite significant that the person who says rejoice has himself lived this way. Many times in his epistles, the, the apostle Paul would, would exhort us, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Actually, the apostles, they lived this kind of a life. So they were bringing the saints into the same living, into the same kind of living, not just for the saints to be joyful, but that their joy, that inward joy would have an expression. There wouldn't be strifes, but there would be rejoicing. This, this is the Christian life. Uh, previously, when I read this verse, I thought rejoice in the meetings. But Paul wanted to see the saints in their living, not just in the meetings, their whole living, what would be a life of rejoicing. It is impossible for us to live this life in ourselves. We have to be living in the Lord. There's no way to, to rejoice in ourselves. So here Paul says, for, for the rest, finally, brothers, rejoice. And what else? Be perfected. Um, the word perfected means to be uh, completed or uh, 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 recovered or um, um, uh, 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 to be mended, to be mended. That is because the saints in Corinth had been distracted from the enjoyment of God, Paul was presenting to them, was actually bringing them back. Paul was ministering, administering medicine, but they needed to receive that medicine. That, that mending, actually, it seems Paul was, was reprimanding the saints, but actually he was perfecting them. He was, he was amending them, bringing them back to the Lord from all kinds of distractions, from Judaizers, from strongholds in their minds, but bringing them back to the enjoyment. Actually, this word is used in Ephesians 4.16. Um, I'm sorry, 4.12. Uh, the matter of being perfected, us needing to be, to be mended, to be built up. So the point here Paul was mentioning was that the saints would be brought back to be recovered into the enjoyment for the sake of building. Okay, and then he says, not only should they rejoice, not only should they be uh, perfected, but they needed to be comforted. Like I said, if Paul said, you are slanderous, you are, you are jealous, this is what's in the local church you are in, we may be offended. But Paul exhorts us, be comforted. Don't be offended. Be comforted. Actually, 
uh, Adrian mentioned these words, uh, the word, the matter of comfort. Actually, throughout the whole book of 2 Corinthians, the matter of comfort comes back again and again. It's the com comfort here means encouragement. Uh, the saints wouldn't be disappointed that the apostle Paul says things like this. You know, um, maybe, I don't know, in the, in the meeting you may have, called a hymn and then maybe some somebody stood up and said let's sing another hymn um, it's quite easy to be disappointed well we need to take the apostle's word be encouraged don't be disappointed actually here where the the apostle is mending perfecting us you know there's many things in a church life where we need this kind of a perfecting when we receive this kind of a perfecting, I hope none of us would be offended or disappointed, but rather we would be comforted and encouraged. Okay, uh, Paul here again says, think the same thing and be at peace. Um, the matter of thinking the same thing, if you look at the first Corinthians, you will realize that this is what the saints were struggling with, actually. This was the cause of the, one of the major factors that caused for there to be strifes. Because some were saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of uh, Cephas, thinking many, many things. So Paul, in the first epistle, he, he charged the saints. He wanted, he, um, he desired that the saints would be attuned to the same mind, um, like they will be harmonized to think the same thing. So again here, the factor that it caused the saints to be distracted was related to their mind. So here was, he was exhorting them, think the same thing and be at peace. Brothers and sisters, for the church life, we need to be at peace, not in strife. Actually, strife and jealousy are a proof that we are living in the natural fallen man. The natural fallen man, this is, this his, this is his characteristic. Strife, you consider the world today. Everyone living in the fallen man, they have one topmost feature strife but for the church life for the building up be at peace praise the lord maybe we were not chosen for service be at peace maybe we are chosen for service be at peace this is the apostle paul's exhortation for the saints to to be recovered and then he says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. If the saints conducted themselves in this way, they rejoiced, they were receiving the perfecting, and they were comforted, and they were thinking the same thing, be, being at peace with one another, with God, no strives. God, the God of love, and the God of peace would be with them. What a church life, God of love. Actually, here, Paul was indicating to the saints 
that they were short of love. Actually, if you look in, in the book of Ephesians, the matter of building actually always puts it in love. Building is in love. If we're short of love, strifes come up, contentions, jealousies, uh, whisperings come up. But when we enjoy the God of love, there's going to be building. The God of peace, there's going to be building. I appreciate Paul's uh, uh, fellowship here. Not only should they have love and peace by enjoying the God of love and peace, but they had to greet one another with a holy kiss. It's quite amazing. Holy here means there's no um, um, contamination. There's no guile. On the one hand, there's love and there's peace, but also there's no mixture. Holy in a pure way. So this, this was what, what Paul's exhortation to the saints, how they should go on in a church life. And then in verse 13, uh, he says, greet, uh, all the saints greet you. Praise the Lord, all the saints greet us. So we're not just in Corinth, isolated, but we're actually in the fellowship of the body. It's quite sweet. Paul to bring this among the saints. Do not think your contentions stay in Corinth. We are members one of another. We are members. When you saints are not at peace, actually the body is not at peace. He's bringing them into the realization that they are not, I don't know where some of us are. We might be in some town or city or in some country. Actually, all the saints greet you. We're in the body. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And okay, uh, I'm, briefly, I'm going to just uh, um, mention verse 14, a very popular, um, if not common verse among Christians. It is Paul's final word to the saints in Corinth. Actually, 2 Corinthians is a unique book in that it ends with a blessing. No other book in the Bible ends with a blessing. Only 2 Corinthians. It's quite unique. Of course, that doesn't mean there's no blessing in other books, but no book concludes with a blessing. And in this blessing, here Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, Oh, Lord, uh, it's so difficult because um, this, this verse, this word, um, at least among believers in general, the, the revelation, the, the riches contained in this word are typically overlooked, missed. Paul ends with a threefold blessing, the blessing of grace, a blessing of love and a blessing of fellowship. In other words, brothers and sisters, what's the major thing in the church life? What's the main thing in the church life? What would you say the main thing, the number one thing in the church life? Grace, love, and fellowship. That's the number one thing. 
If we're going to live in the church life for the building, Paul gives us grace, fellowship, and love. And here, it's all these, this blessing is actually who God is to us. The love is related to the Father as the source. The grace is of the Lord Jesus. Here, the grace is the course. And then the fellowship is of the Spirit. Now, this is how God wants to be with us in the church life. God wants to be with us in this way. <laughs> I, I thought to know the Lord, I need to understand him more. Actually, according to the Bible, God does not reveal himself in a way of knowledge, but he reveals himself in a way of experience. How does God want to be with us? It's through the love of God. So we need to enjoy the love. Love is not for head knowledge. <laughs> love is for enjoyment. <laughs> what is grace for? Grace is not for understanding. Grace is for enjoyment. Oh, praise the Lord. I, I, you know, of all the things, uh, in verse 11, Paul says, finally. In other words, for the, for the, the end of it all, brothers, he's giving us grace love and fellowship and i would like to emphasize uh, this time i was touched with the matter of fellowship grace and love can be objective in a sense you know if you love someone we may decide to do something for them what we are doing when we do something for someone we may be uh, motivated and the source of that doing is love. But when we do something, that, um, that, that, that uh, uh, action we take is the grace. But we need to take part in that. The, the spirit, the Lord as the spirit is how we take part in all that God is as love and grace. The, the fellowship is the transmission of all that God is to us for our enjoyment. Oh, I, I hope we would learn. I'm really touched by this. The enemy's temptation is to cause us to seek to know God in the way of the tree of knowledge. Actually, that's not how God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him in the way of life in the way of the tree of life. Okay, I think I better stop here. Um, I know Brother John had, um, had wanted to say something. So, Brother John. Amen. Thanks. Wonderful. This part, we come to the conclusion of the book of Corinthians. And it, at first, I just realized why Paul, he won't keep vindicating that he is an apostle. It's a bit foolish. If you're apostle, you're apostle. Why you have to vindicate yourself being a, an apostle? Until this chapter, then we saw the spirit of Apostle Paul in writing this book. And that means in the, in the church, 
uh, uh, the church in Corinth, because of this Judaizer coming, it distracts the saints from the enjoyment of Christ. And bring in a lot of practices, but no enjoyment of grace. That is the first thing we have to aware. There is no enjoyment of grace. What left behind in the church life is just practice. But the Lord's heart is not just do some practice. He wants to dispense himself to be our life, to be our life supply. And Judaizer, they bring in a lot of practice, the practicing of all the laws, all the do and don'ts, but no enjoyment of Christ. And Apostle Paul come in to bring them to this enjoyment. And Paul, he vindicated himself as an apostle. In other words, he referring them to enjoy Christ. The apostle is not just come to run their authority and to overthrow someone, but he said, I try to vindicate myself. Everything is for your building up. It's not for building up me, but for your building up. Many people would like to make themselves an apostle so that they have the authority. They like to build up themselves. But Paul said, I just want to tell you, the function of the apostles is to build you up. Saints, what makes us to enjoy the church life? Because of the apostles' teaching. Again, apostles, plural, teaching is singular. Apostles' teaching. Well, please write it down. What is the apostles' teaching? Three things. Hopefully we all remember this. <coughs> what is apostles' teaching? Some may say, oh, apostles' teaching is the teaching of Witness Lee. Oh, some may say, well, Apostles' teaching is a teaching from Living Stream Ministry. Please write it down, this three. Okay? What is Apostles' teaching? Number one, the Apostles' teaching is the entire teaching of the New Testament. Entire teaching of the New Testament. That means um, from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation, that is Apostles' teaching. Not just the practice of the Old Testament. Uh, Old Testament are just the type, figures, the description. But everything is pointing to the New Testament. And number one, the apostles' teaching is the entire teaching of the New Testament. Not just in the gospel, but including the epistles. Some Christians, they just want the gospel. But the entire teaching of the New Testament, gospel, epistles, and book of revelations. That's the entire thing. Number two, what's the teaching of the, what is the apostles' teaching? Is the unique revelation of God's New Testament economy. Number one is teaching. Number two, revelations. The unique revelation, the only revelation in God's New Testament economy. That means for God to carry out his economy, 
God became a man. That is revelation. He lived a human life to express the divine life through human living. That's revelation. No? Incarnation, human living, crucifixion, resurrection, life-giving spirit, the eternal life, the church, the body of Christ, the kingdom, the new Jerusalem. All this thing is the revelation of God's New Testament economy, which is in the age of mystery. Everything is revealed to us. To people who is not in Christ, this is mystery. You know, mystery is not secret. Secret is something hidden. Mystery, even I show you, still you don't understand. That is mystery. God's economy in the age of mystery, there is a lot of revelation. And all this revelation has been revealed to us by the apostles. Incarnation is mystery. God became a man, mystery. Human living, mystery. Crucifixion, mystery. Oh, Lord. Resurrection, even. Life-giving spirit, eternal life. Everything. If you're not in the spirit, everything's mystery. The church, much more. The church is the mystery of the mystery. <laughs> this God became a man already so mysterious. The church is more mysterious than the kingdom. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. The body, the kingdom, and the new Jerusalem, all this mysterious. And this all revealed to us is for God to carry out his economy. This is carried out by the apostles. This is what Paul revealed to them. Saints in Corinth, man, you miss the apostles. You are evaluating, analyze, is this, uh, is this of Christ? Is he speaking of Christ? You, you don't enjoy, you did not enjoy what the apostles uh, passed the grace to you. Okay, number three. What is apostles' teaching? Is the constitution of the church. These are the constitution of the church. The church is not you and me come together. <clears throat> Without the apostles' teaching, it's just a bunch of flesh come together. <clears throat> this is how apostles mention in this part, <clears throat> in chapter 12, verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not in such as I wish. And I may found by you not as you wish that perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish, ambition, slanders, whispering behind someone, demonstration of being tough up, want to be big boss, and tumult, that is a lot of confusion. These are just the flesh. If this is not happening in the church in Corinth, and why Paul had to mention this? Because the church, if the church did not have the apostles' teaching, 
the church just become a group of people come together with all these things happening. Even verse 21 is more serious. Saints, people say, oh, two or three gather in the Lord's name, we are the church. If you do not have the apostles' teaching, there is no sweet church life. The church life is not for building up. It is just full of overthrowing one another. It's just fighting, striving, anger. People come together with the land cannot be a country, cannot be a nation. You say, oh, we got a lot of people and we got a big land here. If there is no constitution, that is not a nation. It's just a bunch of barbarians. Until you have the constitution. The apostles' teaching is the constitution of the church. Well, okay. I'm so glad when I'm here in the church life, we enjoy the teaching and the fellowship of the apostles. In our morning revival this week, the Lord sent the apostles to his people, like in the time of Moses, in the time of Ezra. Ezra come in. Even they're already building the temple, but the temple is built up, but the city is not yet built up. So Ezra came as an apostle and bring the people, not only in the temple, but you need through the teaching of the apostles to build up the city. And Nehemiah came to build up the city. But before the city built up, Ezra should come to educate God's people. Temple cannot become the city except the educating of the saints. And that educating of the saints is to enjoy grace. Ah, I, I saw Hector is so enjoying. At the end, Paul's, oh Lord, Paul just saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ enjoy it. And the love. Paul, he just mentioned, enjoy grace. That grace, that enjoyment of Christ as grace to you, that grace bring the source of love to you. What you enjoy is grace, but when you enjoy grace, the love of, the, of God come to you because the love of God is embodied in grace. Yeah. You want to enjoy, you want to look for the love of God, it's in grace. Okay? When you enjoy grace, then the love come in. The love is inside the grace. I love that order. If you say in the love of the, the love of God is a kind of yeah, trinity, divine order, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But Paul says, for your experience, you enjoy grace. When you enjoy grace, the love of of God is there. He said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit. The Spirit come in and infuse, dispense the divine trinity into us. And that triune God is not three gods. It is three, one God. There's only one God. Amen. Mm. He dispensed his divine trinity into us. And not only one third of God, 
but the entire Trinity has been dispensed into us. Well, I don't say distribute, but I say dispense. Distribute is, I got a lot of books, everybody got one book, distribute. But God is dispensed, is being into us, entire being. And that is a kind of dispensing, something that's organic. Okay. If we all come together and then I make a big, and I make a big sneeze, then all my germs has been dispensed into you. <laughs> Not one third of germs, but the entire germs get into you. God is not just dispensed separately, little pieces, little pieces, but he dispenses entire trinity into us. That's the word, that's the reason we use dispensing. Praise the Lord for this dispensing. The apostles bring in the dispensing of the triune God to the church and to us. Amen. Wonderful that we have the enjoyment of the apostles. Amen. Okay, we stop here. And next, by the way, since next week, we're going to start the book of Peter. Amen. The, the book of Peter, we see God's administration and God's provision. That's a wonderful book. While God is carrying out his administration, we enjoy his provision. All right. Let's divide into groups and then we can come back for overflowing. <laughs> <laughs>